We're going to continue in our uh, series in Titus, and we are actually almost done with this. So next week we're going to be concluding it. And as you know, it's a pretty quick book, uh, but we're still going through it pretty quickly. And and really the theme that we've been uh, honing in on throughout this series is that the the truth of God is is transformational, right? It changes every part of who we are, and and the more you know God, the more that you're you're changed or you realize you've been changed through that. And today is, is, is kind of the pinnacle of that, as we understand that through God's truth and through faith in Him, that we become entirely new people with, with a new purpose and, and this new pulse in life. And in chapter 3, we're going to be reading those eight verses. But I want to make sure we read this in the context of what we talked about last week. The verses that came prior to this is that every part of the Christian life is covered in God's grace. It's just absolutely saturated in God's grace. And what we're reading today needs to be understood in that concept. That the only way we can be new people with new purpose is through His grace. And as you read through the book of Titus, you you start to understand that this is an intensely instructional letter. I mean, there's a lot of do's and and do nots and you must and you must not. And and it seems like every time you read a verse, there's like two or three or four commandments in it. And and it can leave you kind of feeling like a failure. Uh, And today, as we start, it's not going to be an exception to that. There's going to be more things that, that we're instructed to do. And it can seem really hard. And the reality is that the Christian life, especially apart from Jesus, is very hard. In fact, without Jesus, it's impossible. And it made me think of something else that's really hard, at least for me. And that's golf. Okay, if anyone here is, it likes golf or is into golf, you know that the time is ticking. You've got like one or two or maybe three good weeks left of golf before you have to hang up your clubs for the winter. But I'm, I'm really bad at golf. And I play every few years, and I go through this trajectory every time where I start awful. I start to get better by maybe like hole six, seven, eight, and by 12, I've fallen apart, and I don't want to play again for four or five years. But there's one aspect of golf that makes it possible or even tolerable for me. And that is the mulligan. The mulligan is the most important part of golf for me. Because inevitably, as I start to get better and I'm feeling myself uh, really improve throughout the round, I'll, I'll be squared up at the, at the tee box, right? And, and I'm looking at it, I'm thinking about it, I'm getting loose. I know the form and everything I need to do. And I take my very best swing at the ball... And I actually just hit the tee out and the ball stays on there. Or, or I shank it a hundred feet straight out into the woods. And it's impossible for me, but normally I'm with a gracious group who says, why don't you go ahead and take a mulligan on that one? And the next one I can, I can get it down the center of the fairway. Actually, no, I never do that either. But, <laughs> but mulligan is a very important part of my golf game because I'm, by myself, I, I can't do it. I can't do it well. And I thought about today's text, and it's kind of like God saying, we all get a mulligan as people, right? Because if we try to do life, if we try to do what God calls us to do in our own power, in our own efforts, it's kind of like shanking a ball 500 feet deep into the woods off the tee box. And there's no way you're going to find it. There's no way you're going to get out of there. But, But Jesus is basically saying, you know what? 
Let's try that again. But this time, I'm going to do it with you. Right? And he helps you improve and, and succeed in this. We all need the mulligan. We all need the do-over. And in Jesus, and only in Jesus, we have a new life. We have a new chance. We know there's a reality of new life in Christ. There's a reason for our new life. And there is a result of our new life, which is that we can do the things that God is calling us to do. So as we read this today, especially in the first two verses, it could be like, boy, here's just more things I'm bad at. Remember that in all of this, God is giving you the mulligan. He's giving you the do-over. And he's going to do it with you. So let's read now uh, just all eight verses at once. And we're going to go through and talk about some of these major themes But uh, Titus 3, 1 through 8, go ahead and join me as we read these verses. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. I was look at these verses. There's, there's kind of three important themes that I saw emerge from this when we consider our new life in Jesus that comes through faith. And the first, as we really look at verse 3, is this, that there is a reality of new life for those who believe in Christ. This is not a theoretical thing. It's not something we we hope for. It's something we experience, something we observe, and it happens the moment you place your faith in Christ. And verses 1 and 2, we're going to skim over today because that's actually uh, something I'm going to focus on next week. If you look at all of chapter 3, it's kind of like the beginning uh, discussion point, and then an aside, and then he wraps up that discussion point in verses 9 through 11. So really we're going to focus on 3 through 8 this morning, which is like the sandwich part of what's being said. But, but just to summarize uh, what's, what's being said in verses 1-2, is that as Christians we are to submit obediently, We're to serve eagerly, we're to speak gently, and to show humility towards others. It's more of those commands, those to-dos that we are supposed to do as Christians. And I guess the question we'd have right off the bat is, are you doing those things? Are you doing those things? Now, nobody's going to do it perfectly, but, but you ask yourself, am I doing them well? Am I doing them consistently? And the reality is, for, for many of you here today, I would say, yeah, you are. 
And, you, and the, like the, the new life is apparent in you. So then is what are we supposed to do after that? Take a victory lap? You rest on our laurels? Or look down our nose at all those bad sinners out there? No, Jesus is, is, is the one who gave us new life. And Paul reminds us of, of something really important. You were like them too. Right? Even if you're doing this well, you weren't always like this. In other words, get off your high horse, people. And, and he reminds us of something here. And we should never dwell on the past as Christians. I want to make that very clear. But it's really helpful for us to remember our past to recognize what God is doing in your life. And he says this, that, that at one time, we too were foolish. And he's talking to believers at this point. At one time, we were foolish and disobedient and deceived and enslaved. And we're going to go over these things in a moment. But we have to remember who we were. And an interesting note about this verse is that in the original audience, he's talking to a person, Titus, and a people on the island of Crete, that not a single one of them had the experience of being raised in a Christian home. None of them. They all came to know Jesus at some point in, uh, well into their life, probably into adulthood. And there's some of us here today, including myself, where that was your experience and your reality. And you can remember life clearly before Jesus. There's other of us who have had the blessing of being raised in a Christian home where this is just kind of everything you always knew. Right? So you don't remember a time before Jesus, but maybe you can imagine what it would be like. And, and this verse is going to help you in that. There's this reality of, of new life in, in every believer, and, and sometimes that means you have to remember who you were. At one time, without Jesus, you were foolish. Without Jesus, we are fools. And it can't be said much more simple than that. There's, there's an, ir- an, an, an ignorance or an arrogance in our lives that we believe so firmly that we're right. But you weren't. Sin it makes you dumb. Okay, and, and that's why even in, in the book of 1 Corinthians, it talks about how, how for us to accept the gospel, we, we look dumb to the world. But it's the most wise thing you can do. The gospel seems foolish. And, and that's why it's written by Paul. So let's just be fools in the eyes of the world so we act, might actually become wise. Without Jesus, we are fools. And that leads into the spirit of rebellion that has been a, uh, a, talking, a consistent talking point in the book of Titus. That there's this disobedience that it's not that you uh, want to disobey someone once in a while. This is just your, your attitude. It's who you are that you submit to nothing. And that you fight against every bit of direction or expectation in your life. Any kind of authority figure from the police to your parents to the principal to your pastor to your Bible study leader, to a friend, like you will not submit to anything in your life. And this is speaking of of like an ongoing character flaw for the sinner. At the heart of sin is rebellion. And that's who we were without Jesus. It made us deceived and enslaved. At the heart of it, sin is deception. It is bondage. 
And this whole letter starts with this idea that, that we are to be people that are passionate about the knowledge of truth that leads to godliness. But there are many who believe the lies of this world. And they're deceived and they're enslaved by all of these things that will never fulfill them. And then that leads you into being full of malice and envy. And this is talking about the relational strife that sin can lead you towards. Without Jesus, this is who we are. That there's this evil attitude for the people around you. That there's as envy that you want what they want at the expense of them. And ultimately that leads you towards hatred. Either being hated because of this is the person you are or hating other people. And this is the ultimate extent of sins in one life. Is hatred. Now hate is a nasty word. It's a very nasty word. And we have a tendency to kind of water it down. But, you know, our five-year-old, we have to tell him, like, maybe don't say you hate something. Hate, hate is a really, really bad word because the undertones of hatred are death and destruction. Right? Jesus even said, like, if you hate someone in your heart, it means that you, you've murdered them in your mind. Right? Hatred leads towards death and destruction. And that is what sin does. The wages of sin is death. It is sin that has corrupted and destructed God's creation. So we see here this clear picture of, of, of who you were before Christ, or at least who you would have been without Christ. And it ends in hatred. Now Jesus says that the ultimate proof of his disciples is your love. The ultimate proof that you are a slave to sin is hatred. Thank God this is not who we are anymore. And I want to remind anyone here, if you are in Christ today and you're reading this, go back and read the first few words. Okay, at one time, you were these things. You were, don't dwell on this, but it's helpful to remember who you are, at least who you would have been without Jesus. And I love powerful, powerful stories of transformation one of them that I just became aware of recently was a man named Casey Diaz. And I encourage you, just go on YouTube and just, just, just search Casey Diaz story. And you're going to get like a hundred different examples. And this is a guy who was raised in the gang culture of Los Angeles. And by the time he was 16, he had been in and out of, of, of prison or trouble many times. And he had just committed murder and was on the run for 21 days. And finally was captured and put in prison. And he was at the bottom of his life. It's all he had known. But he found Jesus in a prison cell. And he was so radically transformed the moment that he placed his faith in Christ that every part of him was different. And there was this new life in him. And he began to have an impact in prison and out of prison. He began to lead hundreds and thousands of people to Christ around him to the point now he's a pastor where he's just passionate to share the gospel with those who are lost. Now this is a story that's so radically different than the world. Because we say a person like that is lost, is hopeless, is gone. You commit murder at the age of 16. Your life is over. But he experienced this new life in Christ. The reality is if you if you have faith in Christ, you may not have a story that radical or that shocking, but you have a story that miraculous. That no matter who you were or who you would have been without Jesus, it's changed. 
There's a new life. There's the reality of new life in you. We go on this text and really see then the, the reason for this new life. It's not because you and your own power and your own mind said, I need to turn my life around and, and I'm going to just, just in my own strength just muscle myself into being good. All of this has to do with God. And we just read that at one time we were these things, but then when the love, the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. The reason you have new life is, is because of God. Now, as I, as I really study the, these texts each week, you know, my mind goes to weird places a lot of times. And I was thinking about these words like, uh, at one time, and then, but when. And it's like this before and after picture that's being painted here. And my mind went to those cheesy infomercials that you see. Now, it's, it's crazy uh, what you can sell through an infomercial, but this is the strategy they take. And it's always like this dark, ominous, black and white picture of someone struggling through something, sometimes kind of hilariously. And then they, they have this product, but, but when you have this, your whole life changes. And, and I'm just trying to imagine, it's, it's like this, this moment where it's like, you see this woman just having a hard time slicing a banana. You know, the knife is dull and, and everything is just messy and she drops it and, you know. But when, the Mr. Banana Slicer 3000 appeared, my whole life was different. And, it, and it's just kind of, it's funny when you think about it, but, but the reality is it, is it helps to sell Mr. Banana Slicer 3000s, and people buy it. The argument works. And here, Paul is not using this to, to prove something, or, or to sell something trivial. He's selling something that matters for eternity, right? The only thing that can help you is like, if you were all of those things, and we could all have the, the low light reel of our lives, right? But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared, He saved it. He saved us. The words here, but when, are, are talking about this, this seismic shift in human history where there was no hope of anything, and now, but when He appeared, it forever changes the course of eternity. God gave us hope where there was no hope. And through his love and his kindness, we can experience this rebirth and this renewal of his Holy Spirit into eternal life. And there's, there's three things I want to really focus on in, in this part and, and some truths you need to hold on to as, as we talk about what is a very important theological part of our faith. But the first is this, that this is all possible because God loves you. Okay, and we're going to talk about this word rebirth or regeneration that's used in verse 5, and it's, it's very deep and complex. But before the text even goes there, God reminds you, I love you. All of this is possible because God loves you and, and his kindness and his love made an appearance. And that appearance was through his son Jesus. That, that the fullness of God's love and kindness was embodied in his son Jesus. And we've, we've seen the word appear appear in the text now three times in, in nine verses. And the first time is, is the appearing of his grace 
through Jesus. It's the appearing of his glory through Jesus. And now in this verse, it's the appearing of his goodness. right? His, his love and kindness fulfilled in Jesus. Everything that's about to be studied and talked about from here on out is only possible because God loves you. Even though at one time you were like what we read in verse 3, now in verse 4, his love and kindness appeared. You have to hold on to that. You have to believe that to accept what's about to come. That in verse 5, he saved us. Not because of our righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of deep and important things to understand here, but I I just want to summarize it in this, that through Jesus, through faith in Christ, we are made completely new. If anyone is in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. That means brand new creation. Like, I'm Dominic 2.0. Okay? The old has gone, and the new has come. That's the rebirth or the regeneration that we're talking about here. And it's all God's work in you. And that's where it's important to understand first, this is, the, this, is, this is not how it happened, okay? Not because of your righteous works that you had done. You didn't earn this. You didn't deserve this. Nothing of this is, is because of who we are and what we've done, but because of what God has done in you. When you are a slave to sin, you are dead to your sin, And the Bible can't be more clear than that. There is no heartbeat. There is no pulse. There is nothing. You're dead with no hope. But because of his mercy, we're saved from that. And that we are washed in this rebirth and and renewed by the Holy Spirit. The word rebirth here or regeneration has to do with something we see in other places of the Bible called being born again. And the word rebirth is only found twice in all of the Bible. And when it's talking about the rebirth in us, it's found only once in all of the Bible. And it's right here. This is the most important verse we have when it comes to the theology of regeneration. But it comes down to this idea, when you understand this concept, that, that Jesus didn't come just to elevate your life. Okay, Jesus didn't come just to make you a happier person. Jesus didn't come to make the sick people well. Jesus didn't come to make the bad people good. Jesus came to make those who were dead to themselves alive in him. Jesus came to make those who were dead alive. And the only way that's possible is through rebirth and regeneration. We're made new. And it's really hard to understand this because if we look at ourselves physically, all right, once you lose a part of yourself, it's gone forever, with a few exceptions like fingernails and hair. And for some of us, once you lose your hair, it is gone forever. All right, but if an arm is, is, is lopped off, it's gone. It doesn't grow back. 
And this, of course, is talking about our spiritual rebirth or spiritual uh, regeneration. But there are some examples in nature. And and Steph had shared that of a a cocoon of metamorphosis in in a butterfly. Um, There's other animals that can regrow parts of themselves. And and studying this, you know, as, as made aware that starfish can regrow a limb. And I don't know what you call those. Are they tentacles? I don't know if they're arms or legs or whatever, but call them a limb, okay? And so if a starfish loses a limb, it, it can grow a new limb in its place. And this can happen infinitely throughout its lifetime. But what I didn't realize is that a limb can regrow a starfish. Let's say it again. One of their limbs, if it, if it falls off in certain species of starfish, if, if there's enough intact of what they call the disc or the center of it, it, it can regrow itself into a whole new starfish, and that's what we're seeing here. Like that something was com- that in our minds is completely dead and useless should just fall to the bottom of the ocean and decay. It can regrow a whole new starfish. And so that means like a starfish can have a part of itself die and then regrow into a new starfish where they're existing simultaneously. It's cr- like nature's crazy, isn't it? But I, but I think God made this to be so we can observe this and say that that's what it's like for us. Is, is there's, we can be completely dead. And a starfish was just a limb. It didn't have a mouth. It didn't have anything. But there's enough inside of it to grow a new mouth and to grow a new body. Maybe this isn't a perfect analogy, but that's what Jesus does in us. It's like we were dead. We were useless. But he makes us into a completely new person that is entirely separate from the old person. And he does it through his power and through his grace, but most importantly, through his love. There, there is a reason for new life, and that is because that God is doing it to you through his mercy and giving you what you do not deserve. And it's done through the Holy Spirit, as we read in verse 6, that it's done by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And that's this idea of just like generously dousing you. Like if you're dirty, you are being doused here to be cleaned and made new. There's no way you can out God's grace and mercy. He's generous in his rebirth of you. As we read in, in verse 7, this is kind of a, like an, a good confirmation that God is always going to keep you no matter what. He finishes up this idea so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs of having the hope of eternal life. And this is another one of those verses that says that God's kindness, love, and mercy covers your past, your present, and your future. Right? That he's generously poured this down on you. That in the past, no matter what we've done, like we are justified by grace. The past is the past. At one time, we were those things in verse 3, but we're justified. It's done. That in this moment, we are becoming heirs. And that's what it means to be a child of God. Now, this morning, if you're in the 9 o'clock hour, you had the uh, very, uh, very encouraging verse that we were all children of wrath. That's hard to hear, right? But that through his grace, though, we become children of God. And that's what we see here, that when you become a child of God, you become an heir to everything that's happening. You haven't received it yet, but you will. And that's the hope of eternal life in the future. We're given a new life in Christ, not just to have a great life now, but to have an eternal life with him. And there's nothing that can take that away from you. There's this confidence that you have, assurance in him. 
That's the reason for your new life. And as we wrap up the sermon today, we see here a distinct result of, of the new life in Jesus. And that as we, we're going to read this all, but it's basically summarized in, in dwelling on what is good and then doing what is good. Like the, the result of this new life is, is, is goodness. It's God's goodness through you. And he starts it by saying this is a trustworthy saying. This is a common phrase from Paul through the Bible. And basically what this is saying is like, hey, you can take this to the bank, okay? If you're going to believe anything of all I said, believe this. And he's referring to everything that had come before this, the, the few verses before this. This is a trustworthy saying. The salvation, the righteousness that comes through faith and the hope that we have in Jesus are chief among all things we can consider and conceive. It's trustworthy. And he says, so I want you to stress these things. Dwell on what's good. We tend to get distracted by really dumb things in life. Right? Things that just don't matter. They don't have any significant value. There's no eternal value. Stress these things. Stress the salvation and the righteousness and the hope that are only found in Christ. Take it to the bank. And then do what is good. Be careful to devote yourselves to what is good. Again, in your, 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 you know, what you pursue in life could be a variety of things. But if it's not what is good, if it's not what makes an eternal difference, then, then don't do it. And devote here is, is really important because this really means being sold out. Okay, So we don't dabble in what is good. We don't... We don't give it an old college try. It's like you devote yourself. And, and knowing that not, no one person can do every, everything, but every person can do something. And, and so you do it. It's the idea that Christians don't retire from doing what is good. They just repurpose and repackage in whatever phase of life they're in. And there's many of you that have been a great example to me over the years who have served faithfully, no matter where you are in life. And I'm going to give public recognition to someone who, who doesn't know I'm about to do it. Uh, but Carl Ekdahl is one that has always done and devoted himself to doing what is good. He served as a missionary for many years, and he came back here, and he served as a pastor to seniors. And even after he, quote, retired from that, he continued to do things. Around the church. I see him here every week doing things. And now he's unable to do some of those things, but he, he still does the most important thing is he prays. He wants these, these prayer lists in his mailbox every month. And we all need to be like that. Where we devote ourselves to doing what is good. You can't do everything, but you can do something. So do it. And that's what the new life in, in Christ is for. Because in the end, those things are excellent and profitable for who? For everyone. And the question we often ask in life is, what is excellent and profitable for me? What, what, what do I get out of this? But those who are born to the new life realize that there's, there's something we can do for everyone. And if every Christian was truly devoted to doing what is good, no matter where they are in the moment, this, this world would be drastically, drastically different. If we put a fraction of our effort that we spend towards the insignificant and the unprofitable things in life, and, and put that towards what is good. This world will be changed. Eternities will be changed. 
And that's what we need to walk in as Christians in our new, in our new life, is a devotion towards that. That's the purpose for all of this. That's, that's why we are here. This is God's work in, in our community and in our lives. And I just want to wrap up with this as, 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 we're, as we're closing this message, is, is that if anyone has not placed their faith in Jesus, that it's, it's not too late, that you might come in with a past, you might come in with failures, but there's a moment where the past can just be the past, okay? And the future is going to be the future. And that moment of change is through new life in Christ. And the only way to do that is to have faith in him. Right, just recognize who you are apart from Jesus. You're, you're dead. You're hopeless. And realize what Jesus did for you on the cross that is all done through love. And place your faith in him. And just rest in the confidence of new life and eternity in him. There's nowhere else to find that. Nowhere else. It's only in him. Let's pray as we close today. So God, we thank you for all you do, for the truth that changes us and transforms us. And, and today as we talk about this important topic, that the new life that we have in you, that, that if we want to enter the kingdom of God, we need to be born again and born of the Spirit. Uh, and God, what that means is that, that you want to change us. You want to form us. You want to mold us. And, and so God, I just pray for any of us that, that we would just turn away from the things that we know are wrong, that we'd repent of that and we, we'd just place our faith in you that somebody has not made that, that choice, I just, I just pray the word. And for, for those of us who have, I, I pray we continue to walk in that and trust in you. But we thank you that there is hope in you where there is hope, and, and, and there's, that hope is not found anywhere else. So God, I just pray we walk out of here with a confidence, with an appreciation of all you've done in our lives, that you be glorified, and there truly be the joy of our salvation that we can find in you, that, that our salvation came not because of our good works, but because of your kindness, your love, in your mercy. Thank you, God. Thank you for that. So just pray for us as we go today. God, bless us and whatever we're doing. We thank you. We love you. And we pray all these things in your name. Amen.